Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elon MBA Show. I'm Jack Brzezinski. Join you as I always do for this March 3rd, 2022 edition of the podcast. And, you know, it's been just about two months since I lasted a podcast. Uh, schoolwork kind of got the best of me, but we're back. Uh, we have a lot to get into. And yeah, we're just going to get right into it. So this is just going to be a mega trade deadline recap for the most part. We're going to go over some stuff from All-Star Weekend as well. But um, for the most part, we're going to be covering the trade deadline. So we're going to start out with the mega Harden-Simmons blockbuster, the holdout fiasco. It dates back to last January. It ended with James Harden obviously going to the Philadelphia 76ers, his alleged first choice over Brooklyn per his introductory press conference in Philly, and also that trade, which ended with Ben Simmons going to the Brooklyn Nets just about one year after they had gone all in on a Harden acquisition. So Brooklyn traded Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, their other role players, the rights to their Next, seven first-round picks, which would form the dynamic trio of KD, Kyrie, and Harden, which would only amount to a second-round playoff appearance and only 16 total games played together and one of the biggest what-ifs in the history of basketball. So, how did we get to this point? In January of 2021, Simmons was mentioned in Harden trade talks with Houston. Nothing ultimately happened, but Philly and Houston remained unchanged for the time being, but once some players, such as Simmons, know that a team like Philadelphia was thinking about trading them, their relationship with the team was forever altered. Simmons has a career outing with him beat out in a game against the league-best Jazz at the time, scoring 42 points, 12 assists, and 9 rebounds with three-time Defensive Player of the Year Rudy Gobert guarding him, and aspirations for what a Simmons-led team could look like start to circulate throughout the minds of many fans in a rebuilding situation. The regular season finishes and the Sixers finishes the one seed in the East. They make it to the second round and the hack of Simmons playoff tactic is employed by Scotty Brooks and Nate McMillan. Simmons shoots 34.2% or otherwise known as 25 for 73 from the line during the course of the 2021 playoffs. He was taken out of the half court during the entire course of the Atlanta series. He took three total shots in the combined fourth quarters of the Atlanta series and down the stretch of that game seven, he passed up a wide-open dunk and gave it off to Matisse Thibault as he didn't want to shoot the free throws and have the possibility of being fouled and having to shoot the free throws. So after the game, his teammate and MVP runner-up Joel Embiid said, I'll be honest, I thought the turning point was when, I don't know how to say it, but I thought the turning point was just when we had an open shot and we made one free throw and we missed the other and then they came down and scored. Doc Rivers was then asked in the same press conference, if he thought that Simmons could be a championship-level point guard, to which he replied, I don't know the answer to that. So over the next few months, we hear very limited intel. Simmons agent Rich Paul of Clutch met with the Sixers several times, and Simmons pulled out of the Olympics to focus on his individual skill development. And then in mid-July, the Sixers opened up trade talks with incredibly high asking prices as they are in a win-now mindset. So we get to September Simmons asked for a trade and says that he will not be reporting to training camp. He then missed the media day training camp to which the Sixers responded by withholding $8.25 million of which Ben was owed. So Ben then misses their first two preseason games in which he is fined $227,000 for each game missed. Simmons returns to Philly and the return is clearly motivated by money as the team withholding the pay doesn't change the fact that Ben wants to be traded. So Simmons was kicked out of practice on October 19th as he wasn't engaged in a defensive drill, according to Doc Rivers, which resulted in a one-game suspension. And then two days later, Simmons claims he is not mentally ready to play up to his expectations and needed some time to be away from the team. So then the Sixers had to stop finding him on October 22nd, as there is a clause in the collective bargaining agreement, otherwise known as the CBA, that protects the player's salary for failing to render services if, quote, if such failure has been caused by the player's mental disability. So that only lasts for about two weeks, as on November 9th, the Sixers began to find Simmons again, as he reportedly denied the mental health resources that were offered to him by the Sixers, 
and he chose to work with the MBPA. So refusing to share the details of his treatment to the team, which he is expected to do according to the CBA, uh, he would not participate in strength training, film sessions, or team practices at all. So Simmons goes dark for a while once again. January rolls around. Rich Paul meets with Philly, and the stalemate with Daryl Morey and Ben Simmons continues. Morey says on a local radio show that he'd be willing to wait four years until Simmons' contract is up. Knowing Morey and his history, this wouldn't be super far out of the realm of possibility for him. So that's the Philly side of the story. Here's the Brooklyn side. Harden arrived in Brooklyn in, the, in January of 2021. He forced his way out of Houston, putting on a fat suit of sorts, and left Stephen Silas with John Wall and a young core of players kind of in the dust, leaving them in an ultimate rebuilding situation. So, Harden arrives. There's stunning off-ball movement. There's shooters everywhere on the court. Bruce Brown is at small ball center. Brooklyn was rolling. But then the injuries and COVID started to mount up. Duran is out for a while, but Harden and Irving hold down the fort. Brooklyn finishes as the two seed going in the playoffs. They, they beat the Boston Celtics in five games, looking like some of the most impressive offensive basketball we've ever seen. But then, in the second round, they face the three-seed Milwaukee Bucks. So Harden pulls his hamstring less than a minute into game one against the Bucks. But it doesn't matter. Brooklyn goes into serve up 2-0 after beating the Bucks by 41 in game two. It's a wrap. No one is beating this team, even if Harden isn't healthy or if he's not playing at all. Kyrie and Durant and their other offensive prowess is too much for Milwaukee to handle. If Harden goes back... They may go undefeated the rest of the way. Milwaukee ekes out a three-point win, keeping their hopes alive in the playoffs. Kyrie goes down with a rolled ankle midway through Game 4. Milwaukee ties it up. Rather anticlimactic Games 5 and 6 ensue, but we go to a Game 7 in Barclays Center. There's no Kyrie. Harden is on one leg. He cannot move like he usually does. So it's Durant versus Giannis. 1A versus 1B. The game goes back and forth. It is a gritty, grinded-out, defensive type of game. And Durant is defended by P.J. Tucker out on the three-point line in the crunch time. Durant shoots it. Money. Has Brooklyn won the series? There's an official review to make sure he got it off in time. He did, but his foot was on the line. We go to overtime. A combined eight points are scored in overtime. Durant has the final shot. He airballs a three. The air is taken out of the building. The series is over. Milwaukee goes on to win the 2021 NBA championship. The Nets can't hang their heads forever, though, right? They're an inch away from beating the reigning champs. They're going to run it back next year. They tell themselves if Harden was even 10% healthier, they would have won the series. They were a KD being a smaller foot size away from winning it. If Kyrie doesn't get hurt, they win in five. The majority of the media agrees with this. And Brooklyn has a strong draft, getting LSU shooting guard Cam Thomas, who is also the all-time leader leading in points at Oak Hill. Patty Mills is signed as a free agent after an amazing Olympics performance for Australia's bronze medal. They retain most of the team from this year. KD has an outstanding Olympics. He carries the USA on his back. And, you know, so we enter the 2021 to 22 season. Brooklyn is the overwhelming title favorite. But then we hear the news. Kyrie Irving cannot play until his vaccination status is resolved by New York City mandates. But not a week later, Harden then declines his three-year, $161 million contract extension, despite what he says, that he doesn't want to leave the organization because he loves Brooklyn. Harden doesn't look like the same player that he had seemed like at the beginning of his time in Brooklyn. The change in free throw rules were part of it at first. Then we had to ask the question if he just lost his first step because of old age and injury. And the Nets hadn't been the juggernaut that we all once thought they would be. And everyone claims that it would be fine come playoff time. Will it? This version of James Harden? Kyrie Irving who can only play in away games? Kevin Durant dealing with multiple injuries. Joe Harris having multiple setbacks on his ankle surgeries, likely out for the season. 
The corpse of Blake Griffin? By January, Patty Mills was the only thing keeping this team from not bottoming out. And on January 15, 2022, Durant suffered a sprained MCL, which the Nets reported optimism that he'd be back in four to six weeks. Lineups of DeAndre Bembry, Bruce Brown, Kessler Edwards, Blake Griffin, and Patty Mills were real starting lineups that the Nets had to use. On January 25th, there were growing reports that Harden was unhappy with the Nets. Reports also said that James was open to exploring, quote, opportunities of Brooklyn outside this summer. Harden denied these reports with a cold shoulder towards the media. Why would these reports be out there if Harden wasn't unhappy? James Harden's last game as a Brooklyn Net was on February 2nd, and it was one of the ugliest, laziest games you will ever see from a superstar like him. Besides, of course, his last outing played for Houston. Steve Nash then tells the media that the Nets aren't trading Harden four days before the deadline. Harden has missed on the last several games due to a hamstring injury, leading to the speculation that he wants out. We arrive on trade deadline day. Nothing has happened. There have been rumblings for the past several days that Harden to Philly is going to happen. The only thing that was holding that trade back was the Sixers' hesitancy to include Seth Curry per Bill Simmons. The morning of the trade deadline, Woj reports that Harden would like a trade to the Sixers but won't formally request a trade due to the backlash that he previously received when he forced his way out of Houston in order to be traded to Brooklyn. Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports reports at 12.46 East Time that the Nets and Sixers had been engaged in Harden-Simmons trade talk earlier that day. Less than an hour later, it was made official. James Harden was a Philadelphia 76er and Ben Simmons was a Brooklyn Net. So there was lots of intel kind of coming from everywhere just about the past month or so, but you kind of didn't know what was and what wasn't a smoke show. But just from listening to guys like, uh, you know, the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast and the Bill Simmons podcast, this is kind of what I learned and I think what a lot of other people have been able to learn just about this whole situation. So. You know, part one is that Joel really wanted Bradley Beal to be a Sixer, to be in the Ben Simmons trade piece in return. Uh, but the Sixers really wanted Harden. Maury really wanted his guy, obviously. But Embiid kept pushing, pushing, pushing for Bradley Beal. And, you know, he thought it'd be a better fit. Beal gets hurt. But Embiid is still pushing, pushing, pushing for Beal. And then Beal says he's out for the season. And then Bede kind of gets off of this and he's kind of done with it. So, and the second part of this is that, you know, Harden said that Philly was his first choice in his press conference, which, sure, all right. But, you know, Harden was saying Philly was his first choice. It's just, it's not true. Him and Durant together were pushing so hard for him to get to Brooklyn. And they made the front office throw in more picks and Jared Allen just so they could keep they could keep their guy, DeAndre Jordan, who clearly Jared Allen was outplaying, but they, they needed to throw Jared Allen in because Durant wanted his guy. And, you know, so KD sells Harden on coming to Brooklyn and, you know, he's telling him, Hey, you know, we're gonna be this the greatest offensive team of all time. You know, Kyrie's anti-vax he's not playing and we have Harden on one hamstring coming into this season and you know the seeds of Harden not being a fan of playing for Brooklyn anymore kind of start to formulate so you know obviously the thing with Durant he had this experience in Golden State you know he he made a good decision you know there's obviously the 2016 cap spike he makes the decision he leaves Oklahoma City to not play with Westbrook anymore, which seems like someone else out there right now doesn't really want to be doing that. Um, but you know, he's keeping he's keeping his mouth pretty quiet. Uh, he, he says, "Hey, I'm going to go to Golden State. I'm going to win these two championships. You know, I'm going to join one of the greatest teams of all time and make them one of the best, if not the best, most dominant team of all time." And you know. Durant, year three, rolls around, and he says, hey, I'm never going to be the best player, or not the best player, but I'm never going to be the face of this franchise, you know? Uh, And this is kind of the same realization that Harden had 
is that, hey, this is KD's team, and I there's nothing I can do to change that. Uh, you know, Durant, you know, he's my guy, but he, it's always going to be his team. Brooklyn is always going to be his team, and there's nothing that I can do to change that. And I don't know if he knows this yet, but, you know, he's kind of going in the same situation Harden is with Philadelphia and Embiid, just that he was in with Brooklyn and Durant. Because I don't know if he doesn't realize it, but Joel is the process. Philadelphia is his city. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Harden is going to adapt and overcome, if he's going to, you know, whine and complain and get his force his way out to another team, come the off season, get a new contract maybe. But all reports are suggesting he is planning to opt in to that three-year extension. And the third part of this is pretty short, but despite all rumors and intel, I think it's safe to say if Kyrie was playing for Brooklyn, there would have been no trade that happened. Um, and Brooklyn would be rolling right now. They would probably be somewhere close to the top of the East, but they're not. And Kyrie was stubborn, didn't get vaccinated. Harden became unhappy. Durant got injured. Joe Harris got hurt. And yeah. So the long story short of this all is that Daryl Morey won. You know, they had to capitalize on Joel Embiid and the way he's been playing. He's averaging 0.35 free throws per minute, which is by far the most of any NBA player uh, ever. Uh, and, you know, he is the best player in the NBA right now. I don't, you know, you can make the conversation of Giannis or Curry or Jokic, but the way he has been playing, despite all the injury history he has had, he has been in such good shape this this year, and it's been awesome to watch him play. So, you know they're only like about four and a half games out of the one seed. Uh, they're pretty they're pretty safely in a good position for the playoffs. And you know after having no production out of the Simmons roster spot, they can essentially replace Seth Curry's roster spot with James Harden. And you know so far Harden has kind of looked like the missing piece that the Sixers needed. So you know and you kind of say to yourself, hey like. Curry was really good. He had this really good two-man game with Embiid, but at the same time, the upside of James Harden is something you cannot pass on. And I think that, you know, having Ben Simmons who doesn't play and Seth Curry who's playing out of his mind is it's just inferior to what James Harden can possibly bring to the table. So, you know, and the Brooklyn side of this, you know, so Simmons has arrived in Brooklyn. Um with Curry and Drummond and, you know, a bunch of draft capital goes to Brooklyn. And right now Simmons has back tightness. Yeah, I'm sure now that he is in a better situation, his mental health problems are going to go away magically. But, um, yeah, so they just had a Dragic buyout as well. That adds some needed ball handling. Um, I guess it's kind of like a nice guy to have backup Patty Mills and Seth Curry and Kyrie if, you know, there's injuries that happen, or he's another guy who can really help you out in those away game or in those home games that Kyrie can't play. I think Joe Harris is probably out for the season. I think that's a pretty safe assumption at this point. And you know, the the rumor was that the trade wasn't going to be done unless Seth Curry was included. The Brooklyn fit with Simmons is better. I mean, he can be this kind of tertiary guy. He can be in this Draymond screening type of role if he really buys in. If Kyrie. Uh, is allowed to play the home games, which right now doesn't seem like it. But I guess in those away games, he kind of, I feel like he can buy into this role and be this guy who doesn't have to create, who can just catch lobs, who can roll, who can set a great screen, and who doesn't have to do as much as he was asked to. And he can be in a more traditional and more natural role for his skill set come his time in Brooklyn. So, uh yeah, somewhat one of the things that was awesome was that uh, we got to see Durant just being petty as all hell in the all-star draft. Um, you know, Harden and Gobert left on the board, and uh, it's the day of the trade, uh, and Durant just goes, hey, I, I need some size, and, 
he looks at the board and he says, I guess, I guess I'm going to go with uh, Rudy, Rudy Gobert. And, you know, LeBron is cracking up. The TNT crew is cracking up and KD is keeping a straight face. And it was one of the funnier things I think we've all seen in a while. But, um, you know, Brooklyn is stacked as far as a talent standpoint goes. You look at this team on paper and they're freaking awesome, but they kind of need to get going here is the problem. You know, they're pretty much locked into the playing tournament already. They're at the 32 and 31 at the eighth seed right now. They're four and a half behind Boston, who's really gotten going, who we'll get to in a second. And, um, you know, we can say like it'll work come the playoffs, but man, like you, you got to start playing. If you want to get into this, you, you're going to need to win the playing tournament, I think to get in because right now at the point we're at of the season, where there's only about 20, 30 games left, four and a half is a lot of ground to make up. And it's, I don't even know if it's attainable unless Durant is just playing absolutely bonkers. And, you know, Curry has been on a bender as of late, but um, I don't, I don't know if we're going to see that. And, you know, if they're the eighth seed right now and they win the play in tournament, uh, they're going to be matched up with a, juggernaut in either Miami or someone like yeah I mean if you're playing Miami that is a tough first round matchup and you know vice versa goes for Miami if you get Brooklyn in the 9-10 or 1-8 or 7-8 draw that's that's going to be really interesting to see what happens there um and then you know I think it's valid questions yeah the the Sixers have only played two games with Harden in the system but how is this kind of lesser version of Harden from what we've seen. You know, he's had some really good, strong games against Minnesota, New York so far. Um, but how does he fit with this MVP caliber Joel Embiid? So Harden, I, we all know this. Uh, he's a very heliocentric player. Uh, some of the reporting around the whole Brooklyn situation was that he wanted ISO ball, but Nash and Durant, they wanted a more ball movement oriented system. But... I, I don't know. I mean, Joel has been playing so well, and you kind of look at Harden and his history, and you say, hey, you had guys like Chris Paul next, playing next to you, uh, and you were kind of you were kind of selfish in the moment, and you were reluctant to cut off the ball. You would always stand in a corner if the ball if you were you totally disengage yourself from the play if you, the ball wasn't in your hands, and I think that's something that playing with Joel, he's really going to have to learn how to do or else this whole experiment that Philadelphia has constructed, I don't think it's going to work because you look at a guy like Harden and, you know, it's cute that in the regular season and the first two games when he tweets out scary hours that uh, this is going to be how he's playing now, but come playoff time, come, this is my chance to get a ring. This is my chance to prove my legacy. I know he's going to be taking the last shot and I know he's going to be living or dying by the three or throwing something up at the backboard, hoping to get a foul call when you have arguably one of the most talented and skilled big men ever on your team. And I really hope that this chemistry becomes just unrivaled, but I, I just, like I said earlier, he knew that Brooklyn was never going to be his team. It was going to be Durant's team. He needs to understand that this is the same situation that he's in with Embiid because Joel is the process. Joel is Philadelphia. It's his city. It's his team. And, you know, so far we've seen Maxi Harden and Embiid. They combined for 87 points in their first outing together then 89. But the bench is short. Um, I'm sure they'll get a buyout guy that we're not thinking about. But, yeah, I, I'm i excited to see it. Uh, Joel has been playing the best basketball of his career this so far this year. So I'm excited to see what they roll out. So now that we've covered the kind of big one, um, I'm kind of just going to go around the league. Uh, you know, I'm going to miss a couple, obviously, just small ones. But, you know, some of those just aren't really worth talking about. Uh, I guess the first one I want to talk about is um, the Washington Wizards. You know, so last time I was on here, I was kind of talking about how they may be one of the better teams in the East. And since then, 
That is not true. So they've seemingly bottomed out after a, just a flaming hot start. Um, Beal had a season-ending surgery on his finger, I want to say, and they dumped Bertans and Dinwiddie. So great to get off that Bertans contract because that that is one of the worst contracts in the league. But and Dinwiddie just you know he played awesome for the first fifteen games, and since that he he was he's been awful for the Wizards. So um, you know so. Beal's out for the season now um, and with the injury, but he is just not worth that $185 million Supermax. And, you know, from everything we've heard over the past several years from Tommy Shepard, from uh, just from a lot of sources around, uh, Beal is content with kind of just staying in the middle and getting buckets and kind of being stuck in mediocrity with Washington. And, if you're Washington, your goal as an organization, as a franchise, is to win a championship, is to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy. And you're not going to do that with Bradley Beal as your 1A. And I don't know what 1A or player better than Beal is going to want to come to a situation that Washington has right now. Like Kuzma's awesome. Um, you know, uh, Hachimura and idea have had moments but you know there is not a lot there to be happy about i mean gafford has regressed a bunch thomas bryant has been whatever since coming back from injury um but i just i don't know there's not a lot there to be optimistic about and i don't know what beal sees in this and what he what he's getting out of it um so and I doubt Porzingis, I mean, forgive me if he's played, but I don't think he'll play for the rest of the season. And I think Washington's just going to try to bottom out and try to get maybe a back end of the lottery pick if they can, maybe miss the playoffs. Um, they are 12th in the East right now, I want to say. Um, and, yeah, I it's a really crappy situation there right now. Uh, we'll really see what happens right there. Uh, so Dallas, they kind of had – they had the other end of this deal, and it was kind of weird acquisitions, in my opinion. So they kind of went all in on this small ball shooting around Luka. They have reliable ball handling now. You know, the defense has been awesome under Jay Kidd. Uh, and KP looked actually kind of good for the prior two weeks before he was traded. And, um, you know, you, you would guess that a guy like Dan Woody is going to be Brunson Insurance because, uh, you know, you got to pay Brunson and he kind of found himself as that third best player and kind of the guy when Luca was out, he kind of took this step this season and, um, you know, his, his game has, you know, he's always just kind of been hesitant to some extent in Dallas, which, you know, you kind of have to be because Luca is the guy who's going to make all the decisions, but he's just got this confidence to him now and his game just kind of looks really improved. Um, you know, he's averaging 16, five and four, and, you know, I, I, I'm I really excited to see what Brunson looks like. I got to watch the Lakers-Mavs game last night, and him and Dinwiddie actually had some really nice chemistry, just kind of picking and popping, going around, uh, just bang-bang-bang Dorian Finney-Smith. And, you know, they you had two guys on the court who could make decisions, and I don't know if this is just beginner's luck for Dinwiddie in a new situation. Uh, maybe it's just a better situation, not having to handle the ball responsibilities as much, kind of the deal he was in in Brooklyn uh, back when it was the D'Angelo Russell team. Uh, so, and I guess they kind of took a chance on Bertans. They kind of hope Luca can fix him. You know, uh, obviously once he got his contract in Washington, he just forgot how to shoot. And I think a lot of people thought that um, something that could really take Dallas to this next level playoff team was an acquisition like Jeremy Grant um, and kind of got to the end of the day on trade deadline day and we kind of thought, oh, something's got to be coming because the Dragic buyout just didn't seem to be there anymore and nothing happened. So they don't have that second guy, that wing stopper. I mean, I guess you can say Dorian Finney-Smith is that guy, but he's not that guy, pal. <laughs> um, and Luka has been awesome. Um, he's always had to match up with Kawhi in the playoffs so far. And, 
that is a hard matchup as a guy who is a third and fourth year player uh, has to deal with one of the best defensive players of all time. And I think this Dallas team can be really dangerous, kind of dependent upon their matchup. You know, I think they want to try and draw that Utah matchup, even though Utah has kind of beaten them twice in the regular season already. But then at the same time, maybe you can drop a little more and then you you only have to play Golden State and Memphis because you kind of just want to avoid that Phoenix team until the conference finals, if possible, you know, if Phoenix is able to make it, which at this point in time seems very much like they will be in that position. Uh, But yeah, this Dallas team really has a shot to win an NBA championship this season. And I don't think, I think that is very fair to say that Luca has just been on a bender since Porzingis has been traded and, you know, all in on small ball, the defense this is kind of what they had a couple years ago, obviously minus Seth Curry, but this is exactly what they were hoping for. Just better defense when they had that super efficient offense back in the bubble season. So, yeah. And you know, Cleveland Garland's hurt right now. Uh, they had been the story of the season and, now that Garland is hurt, they may fall into the plan. So, you know, a couple nights ago, Brandon Goodwin and C.D. Osmond were the starting backcourt for them running the point because Garland was hurt, and then Rondo was hurt, and then Rubio and Sexton are out for the season. Mobley and Allen have kind of hit a wall as of late with the lack of ball handling, but, God, they have been so good. Just super impressive stuff defensively. Jared Allen was an all-star this year. He should have been an all-star prior to the injury reserve. He should have been an all-star when the first couple were announced, when it was DeJounte and LaMelo replacements. And he, him and Mobley and Garland, I think all those guys are going to be all-stars for a very long time to come. And, you know, they, they got Karis LeVert in the, like way early, like probably about a month before the trade deadline. And, uh, he's going to be an awesome six man or maybe even a shooting guard for this team once um, they're all healthy. And I think from sex, I think Sexton was probably going to be a trade asset until he got hurt. Uh, he was good, but you know, Garland had clearly become the guy there. And you know, I've always kind of questioned some of the decisions Sexton has made on offense and, you know, he's he's very De'Aaron Fox-esque in that manner, um, just that he, he kind of makes erratic decisions sometimes. And, you know, when he has a great game, he lo- it looks awesome. But when he has a bad game, it looks really bad. And if Garland's out for the season, this team, you could say bye-bye to them doing anything in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, I this Cleveland team has so much potential over the next coming years with such a young core with guys who like playing with each other clearly. And I mean, they have a veteran laden unit of like Kevin Love has been revitalized. It looks like uh, Rubio was awesome when he was there. And I mean, even guys like CD Osman look incredible. Laurie Markinen, this, this positional gumbo of big men has become one of the best defenses in the NBA. And it, it doesn't look like it makes sense, but, by gosh, they they you cannot give Kobe Altman enough praise for the job he'd done. Uh, so Boston, so they get Derek White. You know he played it for Popovich. Um, you know he knows how to play for a team. He's kind of exactly what Boston needed. Um, you finally get to get off of Josh Richardson. You know he's a guy. Derek White's a guy who can move the ball around, pop pop pop. You know he makes quick decisions. He's never gonna have the ball too long in his hands, and. So the Celtics, they, they've had the number two defense, uh, and they have the number two defense in the NBA right now, and um, they're pushing number one right now. They are very close. They've had the number one defense since January 1st. I mean, some some of these stats I've been looking at are just absolutely incredible. Um, so the Celtics, their defense is at 4.2 points per 100. Uh since January 8th and with the second place heat in the East being super far below them on all the defensive metrics and they're fourth in opposing free throw rates. And 
Something interesting is that they have been switching on 40% of their opposing screens. With And Miami switches on 39% of opposing screens. And pretty much every team in the NBA, or not pretty much, every single team in the NBA, besides the two of them, are below 33% on screen switches. So a guy like Robert Williams, um, you know, is a good story. Uh, there was kind of some hesitancies. You know, he, he still has the injury concerns. Um, but it kind of looks like he's here to stay right now. So he's, he's averaging 10 points per game and 9.8 rebounds per game, two assists. And he's uh, third in the league with uh, 2.2 blocks per game. So something that Rob does is that he's going to guard the non-shooting wings uh, and he's kind of free to roam while Horford is kind of taking the brunt from the main screener. And as opposed to guarding the team's best big, that's kind of what Al Horford has been doing. And yeah, it's it's really working really great. And uh, Rob is taking this big step. And, you know, I, I'm... I was the anti-Celtics at the beginning of the season. I was saying, hey, like, it's time. Like, we've got to break Jalen and Jason up. No, no, we shouldn't. We shouldn't have ever said that. I shouldn't. This team is good. They have I, – I still have a couple concerns about them, even with the Derek White acquisition. They have a lot of good passers, but they have to work very hard to generate open shots. So they often end up with a lot of bad ISO shots. And per second spectrum, they rank fourth in isolations in the league right now. So, you know, and the defense is also something that I think we have to be a little wary about. It may not be as great as it seems. You know, their opponents have shot very poorly against them since January 8th. But, you know, the fact that we were saying, hey, like this Tatum and Brown duo, this, if, this, if come summer and the Celtics are – the Celtics maybe don't even make the playoffs, which for a while it was. We had Dennis Schroeder just running out there doing God knows what. And, I mean, Marcus Smart was, you know, he had his, like, fiasco in the press room, and he was – it was really questionable. And, yeah, I mean, the fact – you know, they don't have to make it far in the playoffs, but this is a step in the right direction with the evolution of Robert Williams this season. And, you know, Jalen and Jason are going to take a step every season. Those guys are so talented individually – and I think the Derek White acquisition is really underrated, but I think we all can agree that they are still a piece away. And I don't know if anyone knows what that piece is. Maybe it's a Carl Anthony Towns. Maybe it's a Bradley Beal. It's something. But I, I don't think this team, as it is, is capable of winning an NBA championship unless, of course, so many things break right for them, whether it's injuries or seeding or something to that extent. But... So the Pacers and the Kings, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I think it's just um, slight movement in the league is kind of relevant. Uh, so the Pacers, you know, I had never been the biggest Sabonis guy. Um, I had always been pro Miles Turner. I think he's a much better defensive fit. He can he can read lobs a little better. He's just a lot more athletic and bouncy and kind of fits into a lot more roles than a guy like DeMontis Sabonis does. So now you now that you're off as a bonus you don't have to deal with a log jam and you know he he went to the sacramento kings and um i mean this this team right now i mean i i don't really know what they're doing that i guess right now we kind of just get to sit back and enjoy the lance stevenson show um but they have a super heavy guard rotation now at the acquisitions of halliburton and uh healed so it's brogdon who they cannot trade until uh, next year because he signed the contract extension at the beginning of this season. And then you have Halliburton, Heald, Duarte, McConnell. And um, I just don't know how they really are going about sharing these minutes. Those are all really good players, all of them who I have a fond liking to. Um, but I, I just... It, it's frustrating that Indiana will refuses to blow it up and rebuild, and they are always in this mediocrity. They are always knocking on the door of the playoffs. But if you're gonna blow it up, this is the, the you have the crew to do it with. You have Chris Duarte, you have Tyrese Halliburton, who is a natural leader on and off the court, and you have 
a, a center in Jalen Smith. You have a center in Miles Turner if he wants to stay there, but I think you know he's probably going to go to a better situation. Maybe I've seen I I like the idea of him going to a Charlotte. That's something interesting. But um, yeah, if odds are by the end of the 2020 to 23 season, Malcolm Brogdon and Miles Turner will not be on this team, and they will be traded. And I think there is a good chance. Indiana could potentially blow it up. I mean, TJ Warren, we haven't, I think he's still injured. I, we haven't heard a peep out of the TJ Warren camp at all in the last six months, maybe. Um, so then the other side of this trade, the Kings. So this is 20 years of front office failures and blemishes. And there are not a lot of words that can describe what the Sacramento Kings have done over the past 20 years. Um, if you're going to rebuild, I don't know why you're doing it around De'Aaron Fox. He is a special player. He is lightning quick. He can make really fast decisions, but that's not the best thing in the world. His decision-making, I've always questioned it. His three-point shooting has been extremely streaky. Um, and you had the guy to rebuild around if you really wanted to do it. If you wanted to get rid of Fox, maybe get a couple more assets and, bottom out for sure and get a top four lottery pick you could have done that um it would have made more sense with Tyrese as the focal point of your rebuild and you know you get Demonis Sabonis um and that pushes you to what a 10 seed at best you know right now they're 23 and 40 right now they're firmly out of the play-in and they have about three and a half games to make up just to get to a 10 seed just to get waxed by the Suns or the the Warriors or the Grizzlies in the first round. Um so I don't know what they're doing. I have not understood what they're doing. I mean you have Davion Mitchell still, which I guess, you know, I like him, but he he, he can barely three point shoot. Um and it's just another buying time maneuver and it's it's so sad for Kings fans. It's so disappointing having to be a fan of that franchise. They they just treat their fans like garbage. I mean, it's it's awful. I mean, earlier in the season, we saw a Sacramento fan literally throw up on the court. And I just don't know what you can say about Sacramento at this point besides the, I mean, Fox and Sabonis look good for maybe two games. And then it's just, it's just looked awful. And I, I don't know where Sacramento goes from here. Um, so... The other big story that has been floating around a lot is um, the New Orleans stuff. Um, so at the deadline, they got C.J. McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., Tony Snell, and then they traded them to Portland for uh, – and then Portland got, excuse me, Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and possibly a top 10 draft pick in the 2022 draft this year. And, you know – this is something that I keep feel like I keep coming back to that the New Orleans front office keeps trying to go with these kind of all in right now moves. If you were going to try to build a contender around Zion from day one, um, I still, for the life of me, cannot understand why they traded Drew Holiday. And it's, it doesn't make sense to me, but you know, I, CJ is—he's actually been really good for them so far. I—I I really like um, Larry Nance, uh, Tony Snell. I guess I'm indifferent too. I don't know how much he's going to give you, but I think CJ—he's—he's he's a good guy to pair next to Zion. Uh, some of the defense, I guess, is going to be a little questionable now. But yeah, and this isn't the only problem in New Orleans right now—is the questionable roster construction. It is Zion Williamson. And all indications point to Zion is done in New Orleans. And I think the best um, the, the best descriptor of it was when J.J. Redick, who now is employed for ESPN and works on first take, um, he kind of just ripped him. And I, I just – I have the quote here. Um, so, I mean, you know, he, he drew on his own personal experience uh, and he said Williamson was a detached teammate when JJ was in New Orleans not what two years ago and 
this news is a clear sign uh, that he hasn't changed since then. Um, you know, JJ was just pissed that Zion couldn't meet the bare minimum of sending a text to a guy who just got traded to your team. It's the type of thing Reddick did his whole career. And, you know, JJ, obviously he said that, hey, I am not the same level of Zion Williamson. I'm not the same level of player that Zion Williamson is. But but in terms of like talent or to his organization, but, you know, Zion just, he didn't send CJ a text. He didn't reach out to him at all. He hasn't, he's barely been in contact with New Orleans at all. And it's kind of sickening. Um, and you just don't, you don't know how to feel about that because it's, it's Zion is the focal point of the franchise. And if the franchise, if you're, if your leader of it is in no communication, it's just, it's such a bad look. And you just, these things keep coming out one after another. Zion hasn't played. He's played, uh, less games than, uh, he, he have been available to him. He's played less than half of those games. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. And then not uh, maybe 24 hours after, uh, this Pelican season tickets came out and the promos for them. And it said, you know, uh, led by new head coach, Willie green and players, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas and CJ McCollum. The Pelicans are building something special across the street from the Caesar Superdome and with their best ever season ticket package now on sale, there's never been a better time to lock in. So, you know, and Zion, there's no mention of him. There's no picture of him on the graphic. You just, you know, you can say to yourself, oh, he's out for injury right now. No, that's not. Why would New Orleans not include their superstar? It just, it doesn't make any sense to me. And he just, he clearly doesn't want to be there. And it's just a repeated behavior of negative attitude towards a franchise. And it's really sickening to see, Um, you know, and it's, I come back to the CJ thing and I say, Hey, you know, it's different if Zion doesn't text Tony Snell. Hey man, like welcome to new Orleans, but CJ, you know, CJ, the front office wants to pair Zion with CJ. They want him to be his running mate and see, it's not like CJ has a reputation of being a bad guy. I mean, he's the president of the MBPA of the players association. It's not like he's a bad guy. I mean, it's, and then I, I just don't know where New Orleans goes from here. I mean, Zion, you would presume they would offer him that Supermax deal that he's going to be eligible for in the end of the 23 season. So really don't know what's going to happen here. Um, So we're just going to do a brief All-Star Weekend recap right after this. So I'm just going to close out with just a brief all-star weekend recap um the all-star game was really fun it was really fun to watch steph score 16 threes and then the lebron fadeaway jumper to end it with the elam ending and that ending's here to stay i think it's something that uh really makes the game a lot of fun it was also fun to watch in the rising stars game but the real story of all-star weekend was not lebron's on court performances but his off-court performances with the media so um kind of just starts out uh with praising kobe altman and sam presti the respective general managers of um the cleveland cavaliers and oklahoma city thunder and he says that the door isn't closed on him one day returning to the Cavs. and he also said he would do anything to play with his son Bronny james once he is in the league and would even play on a deal like a vet mid-level exception just so he could play with him. And he just says, you know, I think Kobe and those guys have done an unbelievable job with drafting and making trades. Uh, and he also said, I'm not surprised by anything that they're doing right now. And uh, James was talking about, you know, the team success. And <laughs> he just he just straight up says, hey, uh, the door is not closed on that I'm not saying I'm coming back for and playing, but I don't know. I don't know what my future holds. I don't even know when I'm free. Um, you know, he's obviously talking about his contract will expire at the end of the 2022 to 
23 season, but he just said, you know, hey, the door's not closed on me coming back to Cleveland. And um, then he just he just kept on rolling with this. I mean, he, he just says uh, – he's asked about Josh Giddy and Oklahoma City, and he just says, you know, the MVP over there is Sam Presti. And, you know, he's the MVP. Um, I mean, Josh Giddy is great, but Sam Presti – I don't understand this guy's eye for talent. He drafted Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, Jeff Green, Serge Ibaka, Reggie Jackson, Josh Giddey, and the list goes on and on and on. This guy is pretty damn good. I mean, I and he, it's I I think you know I mean maybe he's looking at at the war chest of draft picks Presti has over the next year and the way station that OKC has seemingly become and he's just he's just kind of looking at it and say hey Sam you know um. Remember a couple years ago when I said that um you had good drafting ability? Yeah, so um maybe take my son in like the late second round and um you can get a year of me on the vet mid-level exception. And he'll be like, okay, okay, LeBron, I, I'll do that. So I I guess that's what LeBron's banking on is someone is going to take his son. And yeah, I mean, he's hoping that it's going to be Kobe Altman or Sam Presti. And um. You know, he, he says, closes this out, uh, you know, my last year will be played with my son. Uh, wherever Bronny is at, that's where I'll be. I'll do whatever it takes to play with my son for one year. It's not about the money at that point. So, I mean, I think this is kind of hilarious to the point where it's like, you know, does this turn Bronny, which right now it seems like he's kind of a low second round draft pick. Does this turn him into like a top five lottery pick? Like if you're guaranteed a year of LeBron James, which this won't be for what for until he's 40, which it doesn't seem like there's any point of him slowing down. Maybe they we get like a version of 2021 Tom Brady for LeBron's last season. Who knows? But I mean, if you have a guaranteed year of LeBron, why would you not do it? And, you know, you don't know, but <laughs> You'd guess that this would probably piss Genie up, bust off a little bit. Uh, but, you know, this is LeBron's thing. He's a media mogul, and he's really good at it. So that's all I have for today. Um, great to be back doing the show again. Um, yeah, I hope everyone has a great week. I'll be back next week. See y'all.